0: Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, we'll be listening to PSY 352, Social Psychology, with Professor Nathan Smith. I hope you listen and enjoy. And our final piece of discussion uh, for this lecture, Social Exchange Theory, Relationships and Reciprocity. Uh, so this theory posits that we view relationships in terms of their costs and benefits, right? We've talked about this before. Um, every relationship that you enter into uh, will have some costs and will have some benefits. And the the weighing of these two, right, the measuring of these two things, um, can have a strong fa- effect on the relationships you choose to enter or not enter. Um, It's hard to think about this without making the whole thing very impersonal, but it's okay to, you know, to try and think like an economist for a little while and just think, you know, in an impersonal world, if you're thinking about two people we don't know who they are, just two people somewhere in a city somewhere in the world, Uh, one of them uh, will say, one of them is very social and has a lot of friends and has a lot of connections. The other one is not very social but has a really good job and and can make a lot of money. Well, maybe these two people um, both have something very valuable to bring to the relationship. One of them has this, this job with all of this money and the other has these social connections. And when you bring these two things together, uh, it's more valuable that they be together and then they each share in... What the other brings to the table. So it's sort of a very broad uh, example to simplify um, social exchange theory, and it can be hard to think about. Um, but it's okay to to just leave all of the personal things behind and just think like an economist um, in um, for short periods of time. Um, that's an okay thing to do. So. Um, this is based on, um, as the as the note says, there, reciprocity, right? Um, I give something to you, you give something back to me. It's a reciprocal exchange, right? And if one feels an uneven exchange is happening, then they're more likely to leave the relationship. And this is easy to imagine. Uh, if anybody out there has ever had uh, a friend who is just a taker, anybody know a taker? I. I I can hear, uh, through space and time, a lot of heads nodding. Um, You know what a taker is, the person who's always calling, texting, asking for something. Can you help me with this? Do you have one of these? Do you know what this thing is? Can you do me a solid on this? Um, And the taker uh, generally is a taker with everybody they know and not a giver to anyone, unfortunately. And so this type of relationship can be frustrating and over time uh, can dissolve. Um, people can just get sick of being uh, in a relationship with someone who's always taking and never giving. Uh, so, the critiques of this theory. Um, it depends on how much choice is involved, and again this is something we talked about with um, attractiveness. In relationships where there is not a lot of choice, then the social exchange theory doesn't work very well because the assumption is um, you get to choose who your friends are and you're making this choice based on the relationships and reciprocity. Um, But if there's no choice, then it doesn't, you know, the reciprocity doesn't really matter. Uh, It's hard to operationalize costs and rewards. Gosh, is it ever? Is it ever hard? Um, You know, how do you define what a cost is versus what a reward is? Um, yeah, it can be very difficult. Um, You might have a friend who's a little odd, um, but they just sort of bring, and and sort of a little tough to deal with at times, but they bring just sort of a spark of interest to your life. I certainly have a few friends like this, and it's like, you know, usually they're friends that drive my wife crazy. But it's somebody who just brings something odd or unusual to the table. Their conversation is always about a new and interesting subject. They're always going somewhere new, doing something different. Um, And uh, they bring, you know, a lot of problems to your dinner table, but then they also bring a lot of interest, and that that itself could be uh, enough. But it's hard to operationalize what that really means, right? What are the costs and what are the rewards? And finally, the status of previous relationships may affect perceptions of current ones, right? Status is a thing. Um, Very important uh, in a lot of social relationships. So the power and meaning of relationships, a Christian view revisited. Uh, If you'll recall, we talked about this all the way back in week one, lecture one. Um, We talked about the Christian view, the CFR view of relationships and how important they are, um, how God created humans to be in relationships. So remember, that's sort of some of the background um, of what we're talking about here comes from that first lecture. So the importance of considering God's command to love others. Um, This can be a more enduring basis for relationships compared to factors such as similarity or proximity, right? Um, you would hope so. You would hope God's commands would be more important than similarity or proximity, etc. You know, it can be hard. Um, not, not That's not saying it's not hard. <clears throat> it's just saying that um, hopefully taking God's commands seriously, you can help overcome some of the difficulties, um, some of the constraints, you know, some of that sort of bounded rationality, um, that bounded reality that we've talked about. Uh, it offers a broader range of hypotheses that can be explored regarding possible motives for relationships, um, that is potential other-centeredness, and this is another place where Christians studying social psychology might have an advantage of taking an, a new or different or interesting tact on an old question. Uh, as you'll recall, um, Hypothesis generation um, is a very important part where, where the CFR approach can have an effect on, re- on uh, research, and Christians have something of an advantage uh, in that um, there is maybe less of us doing this type of work and uh, less folks already thinking, having the thoughts that we are having, um, and one part of research is about having a novel concept to explore, a new idea, And that's something where Christians have an advantage in this field. Um, And then finally acknowledges the difficulty and pain that can be associated with loving others, right? Um, And loving others through pain, um, you know, uh, very important and um, having a relationship with God to go to in the pain um, is sort of a built-in advantage. So, some review of social psychology and Christianity. Social psychology studies the human condition, and a, a major part of creation, of course. We have dignity, but not deity. Um, when you're talking about um, not the not the Christian view, but the uh, the naturalist view, social psychology studies human social interaction. Uh, a main way God works redemptively, right? Um, And that we've talked about before, Uh, human social interaction is just a foundational way in which God works. And social psychology um, tries to address social concerns. And, of uh, of course, a main part of our call is to be redemptive agents. And where should redemptive agents work? They should work in places or systems or areas that need to be redeemed, right? So... um, You don't necessarily want to be a redemptive agent who works entirely with um, really spiritual pastors because they don't, those really spiritual pastors don't necessarily need that type of redemptive agent, you know, maybe a redemptive agent would make more sense um, working in a prison or working with homeless people or working with people who have a lot of needs. And just to recall a few lessons we have learned, um, this is going back all the way through. We can self-regulate, great news, Christians. Uh, great news, people teaching, um, I find in Christianity this, uh, people like to tell young men that they can't regulate themselves, um, this is where we tend to disagree, right? Humans can regulate themselves. Um, we, we know this, God has given us the ability, and the research is clear. Uh, we can self-regulate. Social behavior has a variety of causes. There are goals, there are per- the person, themselves, uh, the setting, you know, the place and the time, etc. The individual and community are both important. We are more often certain than correct. This is a good one to keep in mind at all times. Um, you are anything you are certain about, uh, you are more likely to be certain than you are. You are certain about more things than you are correct. Um, and this is a good thing to keep in mind whenever you're interacting with somebody who disagrees with you about something. If both of you are certain, uh, one of you is incorrect. We're often correct enough to deal with social settings, right? You don't have to be um, perfectly correct. Um, When it comes to social settings, you can just be correct enough, and that really gets the job done uh, a lot more often than you might think. We're not always aware of what motivates and drives us. Oftentimes we have no idea what is motivating or driving us. This is something to be thinking about. We're not as independent as we think we are. As Westerners, we like to think we're tremendously independent. uh, But really, we're not. uh, We're not necessarily. We're driven to maintain and keep social ties. very important. And often it just takes one voice to disagree and change the course of a group. So uh, it's okay to be that voice. Uh, Don't be afraid to be the one voice that can change the course of a group. And what's next? Uh, You've already completed your detailed reading as we've discussed before. Um, You're going to complete the writing assignments. You're going to answer the discussion questions. You're going to take the unit quiz. Uh, thank you again for your attention through all of these weeks. I have very much enjoyed uh, the lecture. Um, and um, if you would like to uh, to reach out to me at any time about anything in the lecture, I'd be happy to um, to speak with you about it. You can uh, email me at Nathan.Rex, that's R-E-X dot Smith, S-M-I-T-H, at gmail.com. Um, feel free to uh, reach out to me. That's my personal email address if there's anything in any of the lectures you would like to discuss further. God bless.